0: what you have always wanted to do. Island. I've got Peter Elliott with me. Peter was recommended by somebody who has been on Max's Island before and said to me that he has an interesting story to tell. So Peter, welcome to Max's Island. Thank you. Great to be here. So Peter, you know the general theme around Max's Island. Um, we like to hear stories about the time when people did something a little different or when there was that fork in the road or when they they had a turning point where um, it changed the way they did things or changed their life or created an adventure. So the microphone's yours. Tell our listeners about the time that happened to you. Okay.
1: Well, that really kicked off for me in
0: 1977. 1977. That's right. Giving my age away here. (laughs)
1: And I travelled a little bit with my parents in my teenage years. But one day in August 1977... In fact, it was uh, just before Elvis Presley died. A friend of mine came around, and uh, his name was Derek. And Derek had been going out with the same girl for about six years and planning to marry her. And he called me one day and said, look, can I come around and tell you something? I said, sure. And he told me Sue had dumped him. And his, his voice wasn't entirely steady, as he told me. And the next thing he told me was that Sue was now going out with... Bob, who was another close friend, as it turned out, four months later, Sue and Bob were married. But well. <laughs> the, key, the key next bit in that conversation was after he told me that Sue had dumped him. He said, well, look, Pete, I'm not going to get married now anytime soon. So the money I've been saving up, basically, what I want to do is travel the world and blow it. Do you want to join me? And I thought about that significant, life-changing decision for 30 seconds.
0: And did you have the money to blow it? Well, well, that's
1: the problem. See, he'd been working <laughs> longer than I had. I'd been studying. I only had about a year's worth of income behind me, but I was about to turn 21, and so I thought, I'll get everyone to give me money. And, you know, and we'll just see how long we can last on tin fish and yoghurt as we go around. We had no idea what we, where we were going to go, what we are going to do at that point. And then I quickly found out that there'd be a third person travelling with us a guy called Dennis, who would have been his brother-in-law. He'd obviously known pretty well, going out with his sister for six years. So that was August 77. The next few months were spent rapidly planning, and in January 78, we actually left Australia, on what for me would be a 20-month non-stop travelling, well, pretty much every day, not working a day in that month. Uh, I managed to make the la- the money last 20 months. Wow. Travelling through about 38 countries during that time.
0: And that was departing from Perth?
1: Yes. We got on a boat to Singapore in, on the 27th of January, 1978. And we took a boat. It was actually cheaper to get to Singapore by boat in those days yeah. than it was to fly. But it was what came next that was, I guess, a really interesting bit. We decided, we made our own way up through by train and plane from Singapore to, um, to Kathmandu. And in the interim, what are we going to do, where are we going to travel? We'd caught up with a friend of Derek's who'd done something similar to what I'm about to say about a year or two previously. And that was to get on a bus in Kathmandu and get off the same bus two and a half months later in London. Does that happen? It did back then. Wow. It doesn't happen <laughs> <laughs> anymore as you visualise some of the countries you have to travel through. Sure. But that was a two and a half month bus trip with the same 30 people on the same bus with no toilet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You obviously got very close to those people. Well, or (laughs) when
1: you park in the middle of the desert and there's not a bush in sight, and it's a case of guys to the left and girls to the right, you get as far away from them as possible. Actually, so that was the start. Uh, That took the first two and a half months.
0: And how far did you travel each day?
1: Well, that was that varied hugely depending on climate and things like that. I mean, we you know went through countries obviously like. India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Syria, Jordan. Um, we sometimes were in rough desert camps. Sometimes we'd be in organised campgrounds. We did a lot of our own cooking. Um, sometimes we'd go out as a group and, and eat. And we, you know, got caught in landslides and riots in Kashmir and interesting towns on the on the border of the Khyber Pass. That the main. The main industries were handmade guns and and large slabs of (laughs) hashish. And most of the people who did the handmade guns were missing digits and occasionally an eyeball.
0: And did you pay for the full journey from the start or was it bits at a time?
1: Both, actually. So I remember, and remind me if I forget, I'll tell you the exact money I spent for 20 months travelling before the end. The it was $750 Australian for the bus trip from Kathmandu to London
0: back then. Wow, that was not cheap back then, not cheap, but
1: uh, certainly you know, in terms and and food was on top of that. That's what I'm saying there's two bits. So the food, food kitty was something you chipped into, and that was about another 200, 220 bucks, I remember. Uh, because you weren't exactly sure what you'd be able to buy and what the prices were as you went. So that had to be a, literally a movable feast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really it was, uh, say, a $1,000 in round terms to get us from Kathmandu to London and get us through all those countries in between. But that was actually, I think the courier was his seventh and last trip. He wanted to make it as cheap as possible. So we did a lot of camping. And in one place in India, we actually put up uh, hired two rooms in a hotel and put all our tents in the hotel grounds. One room for guys, one room for girls. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
0: And so you said you had a bit of an issue in Kashmir?
1: Yes, uh, two issues in Kashmir. One was a landslide because uh, we went down to um, Dal uh, Lake uh, and Shunagar and we stayed on houseboats there for a few days. And the landslide stopped us getting out for a while. Uh, but there was we got caught in a riot So uh, we had no idea what was going on, but we noticed people in the parallel street waving their fists at us, and we sort of were trying to outrun them. And someone told us what the problem was, and it was General Bhutto in Pakistan had been sentenced to death in a week. We had no idea what that had to do with a a group of fairly hirsute and scruffy Australians, Uh, but apparently it did. And so they were in an anti-foreigner mood, and so we decided to try to outrun them. They were in a parallel street. Every time we looked down the street, as we were running, they were running, and they seemed to be getting angrier. We didn't know that we were all heading to the same United Nations building where, the, where they were about to make some sort of demonstration. Anyway, we, we outran them and cut out th- through a hill, through a cemetery, and got away.
0: And so just you mentioned there that uh, most of the people in the group were Australian. Were they all Australian? Or oh, there... no.
1: Uh, the group left, uh, obviously left from um, from. Kathmandu, but it was a mix, a lot of Australians and uh, a few, couple of Canadians, English, and a couple of Americans.
0: Predominantly young people?
1: Predominantly, you, you were supposed to be 35 or, or under. Uh, there was one incredibly ancient person there called Bruce, of course, uh, who <laughs> I, I estimate now was 55, and would, would now look very young to me.
0: <laughs> young to all of us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've. Just sort of gone through uh, India, Kashmir, Pakistan. Did you go around, um, and you, you mentioned Syria, so mm-hmm. areas that are now um, major issues. Uh, yes. Iran, Iraq? hmm Yep, through them. Yeah, so I guess around that time, Iran was, the Shah of Iran was still going?
1: Indeed, yeah. yeah. Well, we, we went through Kabul uh, in Afghanistan three weeks before Russia bombed it. Uh, Certainly, the Shah was still around, and while we were travelling subsequent to the bus trip, you know, kept uh, looking at what Time Magazine was saying about the Ayatollah Khomeini. Mm -hmm. They start off saying, "Oh, he's enigmatic," and a few months later, he was stern. (laughs) So you watch the progression. Uh, But yeah, the Shah was still on the on the throne. uh,
0: When were there. And did you spend time in any particular place on the way? Any lengthy amount of time?
1: Not not huge amounts of time. Uh, we I guess we spent probably three or four uh, nights in in uh, in Srinagar and Kashmir,
0: um,
1: but mostly it was no more than a couple of nights
0: in each place. And the and the journey was a, on a particular path that was well trodden. It was. I, I do recall reading uh, the book of um, one of the autobiographies of Justice Michael Kirby, and. You know, he drove, mm-hmm. him and his partner drove mm. a similar sort of route from you, from, from Malaysia all the way to, to England. And yes. uh, so I'm presuming it was a, a similar journey.
1: Yeah, I think quite a well established route. I mean, we went with a company called Penworld, there was Contiki, and I think Trafalgar, maybe. You'd pass buses yes. going the other direction.
0: Yes, yeah, it's, it's probably it's, it's a real shame that you can't do that now because mm. um, it would be fantastic way to spend a couple of months yeah getting from, sure. from A to B yeah that's right so once you got out of the the Middle East mm. that sort of region mm. and when you hit Europe yes you?
1: yeah and and because Tony the the courier wanted to make it as cheap a trip as possible he was trying to set that record it meant we spent as little time as possible in Europe because obviously it was more expensive than Asia so pretty much once we hit um, Yugoslavia uh, Greece Yugoslavia Straight
0: through. Okay.
1: And only a couple of nights in between, till we got to London. Yeah. And um, unloaded in London and then considered the
0: next step. So for you was, so that was a couple of months to get there, mm. and what percentage of the money had gone by then? Oh,
1: good question. Uh, well, if I said it, it was $1,000 on, uh, that would have been um, pretty much uh, 10% or thereabouts. Okay. Mm.
0: So, you're in London. Yep. What happens next?
1: So, we were very much making this up as we went along, Tony. So, we Derek's parents had moved back to West Sussex, uh, so we had a bit of a home base while we were going overland. So, we had a place to crash. And we decided what we'd do next was to buy bicycles. And, push we were, bikes. Push bikes. So, we were arriving, we arrived in London uh, uh, around about May, and We bought push bikes and so we're heading into the the European summer and we spent the next three months cycling from West Sussex up through Western Europe to Scandinavia and across to Oslo and then back again. How far? Uh, That was about uh, 3,000... I forget if it's miles or kilometres. I think it was 3,000 k's.
0: And so the bikes... Were they racing bikes or no. they were just? No,
1: they were. I remember they were Peugeots, uh, ah. and, and I remember they cost us. I think,
0: oh, about
1: ninety quid. It was a small fortune, mm. uh, but they were they were solid touring bikes, yeah. you know, multi geared touring bikes with, uh, you know, thick tires. Yeah, and
0: panniers on the side. Panniers on the side. Yeah, yeah. And was that something that you like when you're going up to, to? Um, the Scandinavian countries, did you see mm. other people doing similar things?
1: A few, but not a lot. Mm. Uh, we, we cycled as far as Oslo and, and then stopped. We, we caught a train after that over to Bergen and back on the west coast of Norway. Uh, but Oslo was as far as we could reasonably cycle in that t- topography.
0: And, and again, how much... How far did you travel in a day?
1: Yeah. Uh, Derek, the guy who instigated everything, was always the one who was going to push us further and, and faster than we was sensible. Uh, so I think we worked out we had probably about 20 or so k's of luggage on our bikes because we obviously had to have tents. We camped in the forest a lot, little little portable stoves and things like that. Uh, but we would sometimes uh, cycle uh, up to 60, 70 k's a day. And sometimes we'd spend several days in one place, obviously.
0: No helmets? No helmets. No cycling nicks with chamois supports? No,
1: and definitely no lycra.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been um, interesting. And no crashes, no Oh scary yeah! Moments. Oh, yeah, there was
1: one very scary moment. Okay, so this is... Um, I'm about to reveal very publicly my own stupidity, but I've done that elsewhere. So we camped in a forest in Sweden, and I, we broke camp in the mornings, hit, hit the road, and I looked down, and there was a large piece of grass sticking out of my front wheel, about uh, 30 centimetres or so long. And I thought, oh, you know, i just reach over and pull that out. You know. That's the last thing I remember for quite a while. So, what, look, I'm not particularly rhythmic or graceful or have a great sense of balance, right? But what I did was, as I bent over with my left hand to yank the grass out of the wheel, I turned the wheel unconsciously with my right hand. My left hand went into the spokes. Oh. And then into the fork. Oh. Which rather effectively stopped the bike. Good brakes. And I <laughs> cartwheeled over the handlebars. Now, of course, I don't remember any of this. Now we're in the middle of nowhere. I hit the road and had an epileptic fit. Oh
0: wow.
1: Now I am not an epileptic. I have never had a fit before or since, and I'll explain how that happened in a minute. So my there I am in the middle of nowhere on the road with my two mates watching me frothing at the mouth and thrashing around on the road. And are
0: they med are they have any medical experience? They had at
1: all? no medical experience. Mm. Um you know, anything that couldn't be fixed with a Swiss Army pocket knife and a bottle of vodka was beyond them. <laughs> but they, what they, sub- anyway, I'll, I'll cut to what they did in a minute. So I wake up some hours later with complete amnesia. And I'm in a room and I look around and I think, this is, this is a hospital room. Uh, I, had, I couldn't remember who I was, where I was, what I was doing.
0: The whole trip, you couldn't remember any of it. Couldn't
1: remember anything, couldn't remember my own name. Looked down, my hand was bandaged. You know, I was in shorts and a t-shirt, okay. No one's in this room with me. So I, I get up off the bed, open the door, big corridor. No one's in the corridor. It's a bit like being in a horror movie. And I thought, where am I? I no memory at all. And where what country were you in at the time? Sweden.
0: You were in Sweden, okay.
1: And I could hear a voice coming from the other end of the corridor, and it was a woman's voice. I thought, I don't understand that language. I thought, if I open my mouth, am I going to speak that language? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So I started walking towards, still no memory, walking towards this voice. And as I walked closer and closer, it was apparent this was the hospital reception foyer. And as I walked closer, there was a big glass window, and I looked out of the window as I got closer to it, and there were two little green tents on the hospital grounds pitched outside. And the minute I saw those two tents, it started coming back. And I realized, oh, tents, Derek Dennis signed Oh, in. wow. And so what had happened is they'd laid down a passing police car, taken me into the hospital. They'd done all the tests. They thought I might be in overnight. So they'd given them permission to camp in the hospital grounds.
0: Fantastic.
1: And then, the memory came back like that is that right and and, that's phenomenal that it would come back so quick an amazing experience because i know what it's like to just completely lose a sense of your identity and who you are but with that came a transcendent sense of purity because there was no past
0: wow and i've never had that experience again yeah so you obviously recovered relatively quickly uh, who are you again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, pretty quickly. So what happened after Sweden then? Okay, well,
1: Sweden, Norway, back down through the, um, the peninsula in Denmark, back down to Selsey. So that's how we spent the summer. Uh, and then after that, uh, we got back and we... Look, t- I'll just jumble things through because I guess we're going through a bit of time here. But we spent uh, a month in an apartment in Malta to duck the British winter. Uh, we flew over to the US and um, landed in Houston, and then spent the next two months travelling around Mexico by local bus. So we went right down now the that east would coast.
0: Now a little more risky today, I think. I think it might have been yeah. to, uh, riskier
1: today than back then. Back yeah. then, yeah. Right down the east coast of Mexico um, to the Yucatan Peninsula, um, narrowly escaping some close encounters with magic mushrooms. Um, up the west coast of Mexico uh, into the Baja Peninsula yeah. and then up into Cali- into California. Um, so that was two months travelling around Mexico by local bus.
0: And and staying in oh, hotels? Or? Yeah. Uh,
1: we didn't take any camping gear with us there, so we stayed in, in, in cheap motels and things like that. Uh, this I should explain to your listeners, um, and they'll think perhaps I had more of those magic mushrooms than I should have when I say this, but back then... Uh, you could get a $1.20 American for one Australian dollar. Right. And, of course, Mexico was... You know, the exchange rate was very favourable, so you could live in... There's a place called Puerto Escondido on the west coast of Mexico where you could sleep in a, a beach cabana for a dollar a night and walk a few metres up a dirt track and get a pile of pancakes covered with syrup and fruit for another dollar. You know, you could have a whole snapper for about two dollars. I mean, you could lot live. For a life! Yeah, it yeah, was amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah. And how far did you travel in in Mexico, pretty much?
1: I really didn't measure the distance, yeah. but it was just right down the east coast and right up the west.
0: so... Yeah, I'll tell you, in California.
1: Then in California, but where I nearly got arrested for jogging, strangely enough, I'm not sure. Jogging.
0: where got... oh, were you? Closed? I I was (laughs) closed. Absolutely. Um,
1: I'm not sure how we're going for time and how (laughs) much room we've got for these stories, but um, okay, we're on our way um, to the Grand Canyon, and we stopped at a little place and uh, in in a just a normal U.S. bus, Uh, and they stopped at a cafe for people to get a coffee. And but up on the hill there was a Walmart or something, and two of us felt like chocolate, of course, candy. If you remember. And so we thought, okay, one of us stayed down to make sure the bus didn't leave, and two of us raced up to get candy, and went in, bought the candy, came came out, racing back to the, to the bus, right, with a, a Babe Ruth or something in our hand. All of a sudden, um, a police truck squeals to a halt in front of us. There's, you know, shotguns in the back, and these two burly cops get out with the pistols. Did you guys pay for those candy bars? Now... I'd seen a couple of Clint Eastwood movies the day before. I'm getting a bit paranoid, and I thought, this is it. I'm going to come to my end in a Walmart car park. Um, And they said, uh, yes, we said yes, and they didn't believe us. They said, get in the truck. We're driving back to the shop, because we didn't have any receipts. And they get in there. The guy bellows at the top of his voice from the door. Twenty cash registers and attendant customers could hear us.
0: Do these guys pay for these
1: candy bars? And the cashier said, yes. Wow. That was not the answer he
0: wanted. We we were
1: going to be the day's major felony. Yeah. So he repeated the question even louder and got the same answer and then drove us back. It was just
0: ridiculous. (laughs) And after uh, being in America, did you go back to Europe or come home? Yeah.
1: um, You know, we drove around. We took a couple of uh, interrail passes and spent a couple of months traveling around Europe by train. Um, and then eventually came home um, 20 months later. I'd spent $8,500, the answer to that earlier question.
0: Which uh, is a fair bit in today's money. But it, is, it is, it is, if but, you worked but, it but out. But nearly two years, though. Yeah, so, that's significant. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, and then there was another break. We all got back to our original jobs. and um, uh, But we'd got the travel bug. And appropriately enough, April Fool's Day, 1981, um, we decided to go gold prospecting. So we'd bought one metal detector, a second-hand Land Rover, and the three of us headed out to Leonora.
0: And well, that was all the rage back then. You know, yeah. metal detectors and, yep. yeah, d- just trying to play your hand at finding some gold. Yep.
1: Yeah, and oddly enough, we did. Um, didn't deserve to, but we were gone for six weeks, found nothing for the first couple of weeks, and then the, we found about 15 or 16 pieces of gold worth very little. And we've still got it. <laughs> 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 um, but at the end of that time, you know, we, look, we were uh, sitting out there in the middle of nowhere and I, none of us wanted to go back to work. We'd spent money on a Land Rover, hadn't made much money in gold. We were reading books by a guy called John Hillaby, who was a long-distance walker. He'd done some incredible walks. And he, uh, we said, oh, I said, look, I'm going to do one of these walks. And Derek said, where are you going to walk? I said, Athens to London. Now, Derek was a cartographer. And he did a rapier calculation. He said, oh, you're mad, that's about 3,000 miles. I said, all right, while I'll walk around Ireland. So I said that I had to do it. Three weeks later, I was in a plane on my way to Ireland. In three weeks? Three weeks, no training. Um, narrowly escaped a marriage proposal in Perth Airport uh, from a girl I was seeing at the time. And uh, he said to me, if, you, if I asked you to marry me, would you stay? Um, I noticed it was conditional phrasing, so I said no and got on the plane. And <laughs>
0: Great strength. <laughs>
1: and um, it was at first a big mistake. The first time I put the backpack on my back was I thought I'll leave it on in the tube from Heathrow Airport to central London, which was 45 minutes. I realised I was going to die. You know, I had done no preparation. I bought the cheapest backpack Kmart offered.
0: And you are on your own?
1: And I'm on my own. Because I wanted to, having travelled so much with a couple of others, I wanted to do stuff solo. Anyway, long story short, three months walking around Ireland, rejecting offers of lifts every single day. Sometimes B&Bs, are, are most of the time sleeping in farmer's fields, landing in Ross Lair in the southeast corner, doing uh, sort of a clockwise loop up into the north. Uh, this is when the troubles were on, yeah. mid 1981, hunger strikers, um, you know when you said the word terrorist back then people thought of IRA planting yeah. bombs in London and uh, yeah so three months later that was finished and then rounding out that trip which was six months I went to um, to Israel and Egypt because it was just after the Camp David peace accords and it was um, the first time you could really go by land from Israel to
0: Egypt so I did that and then uh, back home after that Well Peter I think that's only our first chapter, (laughs) fantastic story, great insight into some pretty carefree travelling at a very young age, Um, I think uh, it's the sort of thing a lot of people would have liked to have done in those times and and didn't, um, and probably now would like to, to do those things. But thanks very much for being on Max's Island. And I think uh, there may be another opportunity for you to paddle out onto the island in the future. So I look forward to that happening again. OK, I'll
1: paddle as best I can back to the island. Thanks, Thanks. Tony.
0: Thanks, Vader.
2: We spoke on the bus On the way home from work he was lost in the details of life Each day was a blur Oh work and no play And how, how had it turned out this way mine